Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. What is up, everybody? I'm Jameson, welcoming you to our third edition of uh, Ask Us Anything or, or Maker's Questions here on Ripstop on the Record. We have collected questions from the good people of Instagram, Reddit, as well as our email list uh, to turn those questions to the infamous products team and get some super stellar info. So uh, welcome, guys. Greetings. Glad to be here. Me too. So part of my preparation for this episode was doing some research on the past editions of Ask Us Anything. So uh, let's see, those were episodes two and episode 34. And uh, in my in my research there, there's a really fun little section where uh, people ask Carter and Kyle, because Kyle's on episode two, uh, what the best life advice was. Carter, do you remember what you said? I absolutely remember what I said. And? I said, well, actually, the question was to Kyle. But then after he answered, I was like, I'm going to say mine, too. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure the best life advice I've ever received was, uh, Carter, keep your shirt on. This is a funeral. And that was from my grandmother. And I will never forget that. It's still meaningful now. <laughs> it's, I mean, I feel in- like I'm in the gas station. At Sheets, you know, I'm about to order some breakfast sandwiches. And I remember, keep that shirt on, boy. Don't you take it off. So the other half of that question was if you had any uh, work advice. And you said you didn't have any good work advice. Is that still true? Uh, Definitely. I'm still (laughs) looking for it. I I asked then, hey, you guys, you know, and this goes for now too. Leave comments on Instagram. Leave them wherever. Send them. Send them whatever avenue you can. Give me some work advice that I can follow. And I will follow up with you guys and say like, hey. I got four more things done, or maybe I'll tell you that it didn't work and I actually like didn't come into work because it was such bad advice. But So, still true. Um, Isaac, in episode 34, you were yeah. asked what would make a good canoe bag, I think, or dry bag. And I'm pretty sure your first answer was, uh, if I remember correctly, you said, if you want to do it right, it would be waxed canvas. Do you stand by that? Uh, no, actually, I think you should just use wax paper. <laughs> Um, like from your kitchen drawer. Oh yeah, that stuff. Yeah, wax paper. Durability. Yeah. Well, it's ultralight. And Isaac's yeah. since on, episode thirty-four, he's switched over. I'm on an ultralight path. Do you remember the first episode you were on with uh, Rod? Yeah, it was like ultralight versus bushcraft kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. He had been here for like thirty minutes. <laughs> Close. We were like, "Hey, yeah. Isaac, welcome to the team. You're on a podcast now. Uh, probably like hundreds of people are going to listen to you. All right, have a good one. Yeah." <laughs> We have a lot of amazing questions to get to, um, but first I want to ask you all a question or the first question you're going to get asked, what can be people do to show the love of the podcast? Well, firstly, I think you could subscribe to the podcast, listen to it, set up notifications on wherever you listen to them so that you know when we drop one. And then I think the most important thing that every podcaster hopes for is that we get some reviews. So rate us give us some reviews on however you listen to podcasts and tell us if we're doing a good job if we're doing a bad job kind of just maybe don't rate that and just let us know and then maybe we can let us know privately for you yeah (laughs) let us know privately but yes please review uh it's really helpful to us and it helps us reach more people that can you know be empowered to make their own gear and maybe laugh twice for the whole series 
if you like us, please let us know. It means a lot to us and it helps the ratings. Yeah. And then that also means that we can keep doing this because yeah. it looks like we're doing something productive. We can tell hours, Kyle and so. Jason that we're actually working. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> what products or what things do people need to be aware of? So we just released uh, a few things, I think. I never know when this is coming out, but I should know that. But So we just released some new shot cord variants, which we've been excited about. We've had those in-house for a little bit, but that includes colored shot cord that's color matched to our different fabrics. So we have Moroccan blue, burnt orange, uh, dark olive. What else am I missing? Uh, neon, neon, which matches our other cordages that we have. Uh, that's both in solid and reflective shot cord. So that's awesome for if you're using it for guidelines for your shelter or on your backpack or things like that. We also have new colors of austere manufacturing cam buckles. Uh, finally, new stuff stack kit. The DIY stuff stack kit that we give away at Trail Days is going to be released June 6th. For those of you watching the video, that's the one right here. For those of you that are listening, there's three stuff stacks in one with a really detailed tutorial video, QR code. Um, it's the entry-level kit to get you in, uh, teach you all the things that you need to know to get into DIY. And finally, we have the Community Maker Challenge. Um, this is a challenge uh, designed for everybody, from beginners to uh, advanced sewists. So if you want more information about that and you want to win some cool prizes and get some notoriety, uh, just follow the link in the, in the bio. Sweet. Thanks, Jameson. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> all right. I just wanted to keep the theme flowing. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Everything's out the window, but it's all good. Um, yeah, on to the main topic. So the way that we've organized these questions uh, breaks all the things that we, we've taken in into about nine, eight or nine sections. Um, so things like fabric application, questions on current products, questions on product development stuff, um, Dyneema, thread and needle questions, making questions, sewing machine questions, and then I think there's a few on apparel. So the amount of questions you all sent in was incredible. Thank you so much to everyone that submitted a question. Um, it really means a lot that people would take time and, and put in an intentional question or even a goofy question that you want to you want to get an answer from us. So thank you to everyone for doing that. Now, with that in mind, we're not going to get to every single question, and we're sorry for that. We would answer every single one if we could. Um, unless it was like another question I heard in episode two where someone said your website blows. So we don't want to answer that one, but we did because we respect it. We're going to answer as many as possible, but there's a good chance that this is going to go into a two-part series. So you're going to get a bonus episode released on July 13th, one week after this episode is released, where we'll go over whatever doesn't fit into the time allotment because we respect your time and we don't want to give you a two-hour episode. Jumping into category number one, which is fabric application. Carter, you have the honor of taking the first question. So let's dive in. I'm going to read and then you're going to give us your answer. Bruce Walk, thanks for sending a question, man. Asked, what is the softest feel fabric you have for quilts and bags for that inner layer that avoids the plastic feel and may even feel silky soft while still being capable of using down as an insulator? Oh, and perhaps there's two answers. One might be more lightweight than the other. Both cases are of interest to me. Uh, since I both, since I make both ultralight gear as well as items for use in car and home. Thank you. Sure. Uh, thank you, Bruce. Um, so for the inner layer, I think that the, the least plasticky feeling downproof material that we have is our 155 multicam. It feels, it feels really, really good. Um, 
the only issue with that is that it's multicam. Sorry, Isaac. <laughs> so if your quilt it doesn't match those colors or you're not down with that, then I would recommend going for the one ounce Hyper D or the one one ripstop. But people, I I hear people tend to like the one ounce Hyper D uh, more than that, and it's a little bit lighter. So he, he asked for downed quilt though, so he's definitely down with it. <laughs> You've been hanging out with Jason too much with all these dad jokes, dude. All right. Thanks yeah, for- Bruce, hopefully that helps, man. Isaac, you got the next question. Uh, Matthew Abrams said, I want to create some underseat canoe bags. Rectangle, maybe using a 1000D Cordura nylon for storing items like maps, snacks, sunscreen, etc. But it needs to have some structure in the bottom of the bag so that it can remain flat and not sag when items are placed in it. What do you recommend sewing into the fabric as a stay slash stiffener? I was thinking of a thin, flexible cutting board. What do you think? Uh, yeah, thanks, Matt. Or Matthew. I don't know which one you go by. Um, so we've used flexible cutting board for a lot of things, like bike bags, um, backpacks, backpacks, coolers, uh, lots of things. Flexible cutting board is probably the best and easiest solution because you can either go to like Dollar General or Dollar Store or just Amazon and get some of those. Um, Next to that, I would probably say like a thin foam. Like if you had a very thin yoga mat or uh, something like Reflectix, which is usually used for like garage door insulation. Um, You can find that at like Lowe's or uh, Home Depot or any of those big box stores. But yeah, those are some good options. You can buy like different weight uh, thicknesses of EVA foam on Amazon too. Like you can buy just sheets of it and you can choose from like two to 10 millimeters because I did that once and bought the wrong size. So you can get bigger sheets there and you can like plastic cutting board mats often. All right. Next question. Billy A, uh, not to be confused with Billy B, Billy B, or Billy A asks, so glad you're doing this. I plan to make an apex underquilt for using backpacking in the Adirondacks and Green Mountains. What would be the best outer and inner shells? or inner shell layers, keeping in mind that it's almost always raining in the Adirondacks. I'm thinking one ounce Hyper D, but I'm not certain. So one ounce Hyper D is a good option. If you're looking for something that's uh, pretty durable, considering where you'll be, I think the one, one ripstop that we carry is really comfortable and nice and plenty durable. Um, I also think that no matter what quilt you have on on the inside, you can use something lighter that's a little bit softer and save some weight and also just feel a little bit more comfortable. So I recommend like MIM-10 ripstop or something of that nature personally. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what I had my quilt yeah. made out of, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's great. I, I just sent some fabric to uh, uh, one of our really good customers and got a custom quilt made and it was really cool. He used it in the military fields. I did. All you had to say about Isaac is that it's really cool. It kept me warm. (laughs) A man of many words. Many words. Haywood, thank you for sending in this question. Uh, They ask, has anyone ever thought about MYOG luggage? I'm talking checked bags at the airport type of luggage. It's on my bucket list of MIOG projects, and I'm curious if you guys were going to make one, slash how you would make it or what fabric you would use. Uh, my thoughts so far, I'm thinking I want to make a frame out of aluminum bars or tubes. Then for fabric, I'm kind of worried that the weave on something like 1680D Cordura would be too loose and eventually get caught on conveyor belts, etc. But maybe a coated fabric like TPU or CSM polyester, but that can get pretty expensive. Isaac, what are your thoughts on MIOG luggage? I've definitely thought about it. Um, however, I've soon become very discouraged uh, by looking at some of the hard-sided 
you know, suitcases that are out there and thinking that that's way above my, my skill level. Um, but I mean, I could see you definitely using thousand D Cordura or, or 1680. Um, that stuff is, stupid resilient i mean like super abrasion resistant um and then maybe using the csm polyester for like the corner reinforcements or like the edges or something like that to um you know reinforce those places where the abrasion would you know possibly have a a bigger chance of getting through that but what do you think the like the technical aspect to making luggage would be that like a hard sided type of luggage, like what where I mean, it seems like a really difficult process, but in a lot of ways, like using the same stitches and same techniques, like where does the challenge come in with that type of project? I mean, in my mind, it, it, I think it would be like getting the fabric taut over the skin. Cause like you would either have to have like your, your dimensions would have to be within like millimeters, you know, to get it tight. Also luggage like that is normally using like, injection molded parts right that are not so it's not just as simple as make i mean i guess you can make like a a framed box and then put stuff around it but that's not really the same thing as having like a custom molded piece when normally the fabric is like adhered onto it it's it's not like you're sewing it in that way so i i think you're also probably not using the same stitches right like they're accomplishing that through using all kinds of really specific like different armed spaced machines yeah. to be able to get to all those crazy tight curves that you have to do. Yeah. So I think it would just be really hard. Those aren't made in a garage is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, maybe they are somewhere, but not a garage I've been to. Uh, the uh... John A says, Hey guys, if I don't want my tarp to sag in the rain, am I better off with Sil Nylon or Sil Poly? Oh yeah, definitely Sil Poly. Uh, both of them at this point, the coatings have been refined where they're both pretty good, but Sil Poly polyester by nature is hydrophobic so it's going to sag less also i recommend putting some cat cuts in there catenary cuts or some way of removing material so that you can get a tighter pitch from the beginning isaac question from no name says which fabric should i use for a fanny pack um so i would say pretty much anything like you can use (laughs) something uh as lightweight as like one one so poly and you'll have you know like a a stuffable packable fanny pack like what you'd see it you know in the rei flash series um all the way up to like thousand e cordura i mean i I've, I've made fanny packs out of 500 e cordura and then i recently made one out of ultra 200 and i love it so um it just kind of depends on on the look that you want and the you know the kind of usability you're looking for gail a says I'm looking for material to make covers for dog crates. The material needs to be lightweight and breathable so dogs have adequate airflow. Uh, I know that most slash all of your products are wind and or waterproof, but I thought I'd ask anyway. Yeah, so I think our mostly anything would work probably, but I tend to say that in this case or something that might get scratched on or uh have some abrasion on it in some way that you could go with 2.2 hex 70 the uncoated version so it's still breathable but also pretty durable uh so yeah 2.2 hex 70 xl dwr non-waterproof send us pictures of what you make please isaac next question for you jacob w says 
I've made a few projects. I was wondering if you knew of anybody making a sheath for tools. I work in a carpentry shop and most of the guys carry pliers in a custom leather craft sheaths. Has anyone made a sheath for a tool out of fabric instead of leather? If so, what material would be good for this type of application? What's up, Jacob? Um, yeah, I've definitely seen, um, I guess, pouches for tools made with fabric. Because uh, I would say, <clears throat> I would say pouches in this case instead of a sheath because the sheath is going to be like more form fitting, right? Like uh, with leather, it's going to be fitted to the curves of the tool, or with Kydex, they're going to be fitted to the to the curves. Um, but I've definitely seen people make like pouches specifically for tools out of, you know, Cordura, Robic, like any of those heavier weight, like 500 D plus fabrics. The final question that we have in the fabric application section is for both of you. KM Buckley says your personal preference or pros and cons of tie-out material, things like grain, paracord, or homemade silk nylon straps. I don't know what a homemade silk nylon strap is, so enlighten me with that one at least. Uh, yeah, so I've read over this a few times, um, and I think we decided that this was meaning like the portion of the shelter where there is a loop of some sort that you would actually tie your guy lines to. So that's how I'm going to answer this. And I actually think we might have the same answer at this point, but we might not have always had the same answer. And that is to... Basically, in all shelters, for the most part, which I usually use a tarp, so maybe a tent would be different. But for any tarp, I normally bind the tarp in grow grain and then use, like, ex I add on grow grain to follow the curves and then connect it back on itself with a loop. So it pulls across the grow grain. I don't put, like, any, I don't attach anything to the material itself at all. So that's how I do it. You make like little ears with the grow grain that you attach back to the grow grain. So you're not putting more holes in the sill poly, but it's also, it's like double reinforced on itself. Yeah. So if you look at like UGQ tarps, that's exactly how I do it. Isaac, you have a difference or a technical addition add on there? No, I mean, before I started my ultralight journey, I would say, uh, I would have said, um, you know, something like paracord or webbing. Um, tubular webbing. Probably. I, I have, I have even used tubular webbing, uh, not the greatest choice, not a good choice at all, but <laughs> it's been done. Um, it's yeah. durable. Yeah. Unless you're like hand stitching it like I did for my first. Anyway. There's a, there's a level Anyways. of commitment there that you got to commend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would definitely agree with Carter. Yeah. I think that's probably the best I've seen. I'm literally going to be sewing a tarp tomorrow and i'll be doing that method as well so <laughs> shout out to carter and i guess ugq so there's this is not an official question but there's kind of a a theory that i want to go over briefly while we're in the fabric application segment um which is the fabric fabric application triad i know we've talked about this a, a thousand times before but i don't think it can be said enough carter it's so, like the thing that i randomly made up on one of the podcasts that yeah that i is didn't even really of, know what i was saying i would say that there was a a higher deity flowing through me at the time, but it turns out that it, it, it ended up like being something that we being pretty use. genius. Yeah. So the fabric application triad, it's a, it's overwhelming to show up to our site and sort through, you know, 300 variants of fabrics or whatever to find the right one that you want. But Carter coined this as you just heard on the fly, um, which is what? Honestly, I, like I said, it, oh, like it wasn't me speaking at the time. Okay, I think it so, is. Your, your... Price, durability, and weight. Yes, yes. So when you're when you're going through, think of the project that you want to create. If it's a backpack, do you want to 
what's the highest preference? Is it price, durability, or weight? Once you prioritize those, you'll have a much easier time cho- choosing the fabric. Most often, you know, Dyneema or Ultra might be the best option for certain things, but it's not going to be the cheapest. So price, durability, and weight, if you think about those things in terms of application, you'll often get a good result. So just something you guys can take, or any of you listening can take home and, and apply to your future applications. All right. Alan says, my question is, what is a new fabric or material you've stocked that you think most people don't appreciate yet? Yeah, thanks, Alan. I think this is an awesome question. So for me, I think it's the melange, the woven melange with Dyneema. It's an awesome pack fabric. It has tons of durability in forms of abrasion resistance and tear resistance. Uh, It looks really cool. It has like the heathered look. So I think it's uh, applicable to both outdoor technical stuff as well as EDC type of bags that look a little more polished. I just think that I'd love to see more of that out there. Shout out to Matt from Redpaw because he uses that a lot and I like it. Uh, I would say the light skin series from Dimension Polyant. Um, I really like the way it looks. It sucks to work with because it like rolls really badly, but I really like the way it looks. Next question is from Maddie. Maddie says, hello, does the Sil Poly or Sil Nylon offer greater protection against UV than a regular ripstop nylon? Also, what are the major differences between calendared ripstop nylon versus Sil Nylon? For what aspects would you recommend one over the other? So kind of a loaded question here, um, but I think Isaac's got it covered. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot going on. Um, so first off, Sil Poly versus sil nylon for uv resistance um first off the silicone coating does provide some uh uv protection but it's not uh the biggest difference is in the fiber um polyester is inherently more uv resistant because of the uh the bonds between the the atoms of the the fiber right um and then, so next we have major differences between calendared ripstop nylon versus sil nylon. So calendared ripstop nylon is basically a, a ripstop nylon that goes through the calendaring process, which is basically two really big heated rollers. Um, and then that kind of seals the, the pores, basically think of it as pores of those fibers. Um, it's not giving it any type of like, extra uh, water resistance or capabilities whereas the silicone coating is filling the gaps between those pores and giving it more water resistance that makes sense yeah i think they actually both increase tear and abrasion a little bit but silicone does much more than that you can have like a really quality silicone coating can drastically affect like the tear strength of a material which a lot of people don't realize but yeah no i think he went into more science than I've ever done in my life. Uh, and then the final part of that question, uh, what aspects would you recommend one over the other? Um, so the calendared is always going to be good for like windproof and downproof situations. So more like apparel type things. And then the silicone coated uh, is going to be more for shelters like tarps, tents, things like that. Uh, rain, rain jackets. So. Dina asks a really important question, especially with the events currently going on with environmental protection and such. Um, But Dina asks, is ripstop bad for the environment? How can nylon polyester be made more eco-friendly? And finally, does ripstop by the roll offer eco-friendly fabrics? 
yeah, this is an important question. So is ripstop bad for the environment? That question, I think, is more complex than a yes or no answer. I think that there are lots of things that aren't the best for the environment. But as you mentioned, there are ways that we can, uh, both that we already do and ways that we can influence the textile industry and just like what we offer to make things better for the environment. One of those is an initiative that we've already started, which is the uh, water-resistant coatings that go on the materials can often be really bad for the environment. So we've chosen to kind of do away with a lot of the traditional ones. Uh, and you see other companies doing this as well to go with uh, a PFC-free coating. Eventually, I would like to get to a spot where the coatings are like completely 1 million percent safe. I just don't know that the science is there yet. Um, or accessible. Right. Um, and then... The other obvious one is using like post-consumer recycled fiber. So you take nylon or polyester that's been recycled from other things and you can actually make fabric out of that instead of creating it from scratch, creating more plastic from scratch. So that is one thing that we offer in our eco lines. We just released one recently in 1.6 Hyper-D Eco and we definitely plan on bringing a lot more on, including things like recycled Cordura and just the list goes on for what we want to do. I wish that, you know, tomorrow we could wake up and everything that we had was recycled, but we're, we're definitely, that, that is a top priority for not only for us, but I think the outdoor industry as a whole. Quick list of other eco-friendly fabrics that we have. We have 11 Sil Poly Eco. We have 11 RPC Eco, 11 Sil Poly Eco. We have the Eco Pack line. We have the Ultra line from Challenge, as well as the RX line from X Pack. Uh, and then the 1.6 Hyper D Eco. And like they said, there's some more things coming out, but those are the maybe 12 fabrics we have right now. Yes, very soon we will have some other recycled fabrics as quickly as we can get them online. There's a great video that we did with Kyle just a few months ago talking about PFC. Uh, PFC free fabrics uh, it goes into it a little bit. If you're interested in that video, check it out on YouTube. All right. Uh, this question is from a Reddit user. Um, thanks to everyone that sent in Reddit questions on the RMYOG list. Thanks for everybody that sent in questions, period. But essential, uh, essential burnout asks, says, not having a lot of textile background, I often have trouble picking out the best fabric for my application. One thing I run into is a lack of, quote, strength comparison between fabrics. I assume all other things being equal or higher denier means that it is stronger, but I'd like something more quantitative. Is there a measurement of abrasion or tensile strength that could be used to compare fabrics? Yeah, thanks for the question, essential burnout. Um, so just one thing to, to note real quick, um, typically, yes, higher denier means stronger. Uh, however, like Carter just mentioned a few minutes ago, um, there can be coatings that are, you know, added to a fabric uh, post weaving that will make it stronger. So just because, you know, something is 1.1 sil poly doesn't mean it's going to tear out the minute you put some strain on it. Um, but as far as the quantitative um, way to look at these things, uh, you have industry standards. Um, in this case, we have, we use ASTM standards uh, for tear and tensile strength. And those tests are ASTM 1424 for tear and then ASTM 5034 for tensile, if you're interested in looking them up. Um, but producing data sheets is something that we're working on continuously. 
Um, and data sheets are the things that you'll be able to find those numbers on. Um, and we're working on getting those data sheets onto our website for all of the fabrics. Uh, but for now, you can find all the ones that we have in our resource center on the website. Um, and then I think some of the, our recent fabrics that we've released have those on the product page, like uh, 1.6 Hybrid Eco has it on the product page. Um, that's the only one I can think of right now. Yeah, there's there's maybe 15 or 16, I think, that have them on there, but that's the only one that came to mind as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's the most recent one that we yeah. yeah, Yeah. 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 But, Check the data sheets, um, look at those tear and tensile strength numbers, and that'll give you the best uh, quantitative look at that. We could probably talk about this for an entire episode, so I don't want to do that, but there is a certain level of like nuance that comes with the data sheet, I think, that, like, I guess, how would you recommend someone that, that's not really used to looking at those? Like, we look at those almost every day, sometimes. Like, for someone that's never looked at a data sheet before, and they look at, like, a tensile strength of 98 pounds per force or whatever how do you kind of coach somebody to reading a data sheet for the first time to help them have a better idea of what that fabric would be like i mean at a rudimentary level you're doing the you're looking at the numbers between the two things you're comparing and the higher one is stronger so, so, so well that's well that's even a good point though like sort of just find a comparison like it doesn't have to be exactly the same but like if you want to understand those numbers better just pull up something else yeah, I mean, and likely, uh, based on the question, you're not going to be comparing. The, because we've already established that typically higher denier is going to be stronger, um, I doubt you're going to be comparing like 1680D to 1.1 ripstop nylon because you already know which of those is stronger, right? It's You're going to be comparing like, you know, 500D Cordura to uh, three Hyper D 300 or something and trying to figure out the difference. So typically, if you're comparing those, you're looking at those numbers. I, I would say that, Although those are quantitative, those are like lab results that are very specific tests and standards. It doesn't necessarily mean that if one of them has a lower tear strength on on those standards that they're like bad, right? Uh, you're talking about a very specific test that has a certain amount of weight that's dropping it, and then two things are like pulling it apart. It's but it can be one way to quantitatively compare those two. like waterproofness is an example like just because something has a hydrostatic head of one has twenty thousand one has five thousand the five thousand isn't gonna just like pour water all over you <laughs> yeah we i say this a lot which is kind of funny is like yeah it's more waterproof yeah which obviously doesn't actually mean anything but what it, it it's basically saying okay if it's over like 1500 millimeters of hydrostatic head it's probably we just consider that waterproof it's not going to allow water through in a rainstorm yeah which kind of leads us to the next question. Now, Frank Bowman <laughs> says, comparison of waterproofness and other use considerations across tarp materials. Things like uh, DCF, still nylon, still poly, etc. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what the question is here. Comparison of waterproof fabness. I think Frank just wants to know, like, hey, it's basically what I was just mentioning, right? It's yeah. like, okay, I see that this has a hydrostatic head of greater than 10,000 and this one says greater than 2,000 millimeters what does that actually mean to me like and it's it's pretty much what I just said which is they're both waterproof but eventually one of them will wet out under like extreme uh, amount of like water pressure from above or over time one of them uh, as as the silicone coating ages on one of them that will slowly start to go down those pores that Isaac talked about earlier start to have less fill in between them. That coating can wear down over time. And then you might have an aged hydrostatic head, which is another standard test. 
um, of 800 instead of 1500. In the simplest way, hydrostatic head, how is that tested? Like what does, um, like I don't think people would expect to see 4,000 millimeters as a result. What does that mean? Like what is the test doing that results in the quality being in millimeters? So Isaac can stop me if I start saying something dumb because he's the smart one of the Isaac, two of us. Isaac, why don't you explain I it? I don't think that's true. <laughs> so at a very basic level, you're taking, let's just say you're taking a, section of ripstop you're putting it uh you're like stretching it out like over something like let's just say you had a jar okay you take the the sill poly and you stretch it over the jar and clamp it down so that it's under tension and then you take like a test tube or like a column i was gonna say cylinder call yeah yeah and uh that's graduated in millimeters and then you pour water into it until water comes out the other side of it so when it says four thousand millimeters that means you literally would have 4,000 millimeters of water up before the pressure was so heavy that the silicone coating failed. Is that semi-close? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. <laughs> nice. That's right. All right. School of hard knocks, baby. That does it for current product segment, which brings us to the next segment, product onboarding. So questions about things that we'd like to bring on or things that we're in development or testing for, uh, things that we can answer regarding those things at least. So from Reddit user, does my username matter? I mean, that's a question in and of itself. Yeah. I don't know which question to answer now because the first question is, does my username matter? The second question is, I love the patterns and kits you offer. Will you offer more varied patterns or kits in the future or for other gear? Things like a pattern kit for a netted hammock or maybe a basic one person tent or, you know, does my username even matter? First off, no. Second off. Go ahead, Isaac. (laughs) You matter, though. You matter, but your username does not. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we will be bringing on more patterns. Uh, we are working with Tim from LearnMYOG to bring on some of his patterns. That's very close to uh, being manifested into reality. Um, so be on the lookout for that. As far as, like, netted hammocks or a tent, uh, that isn't in the works yet, but hopefully maybe someday down the line we could work on doing something like that. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. I mean, we're, we definitely want to add those things. It's, uh, we have to take it one step at a time because, you know, we are a smaller team and we have a lot of things that we want to add, but yeah, one day I would hope to have a laser cut netted hammock kit. Uh, if not only for myself (laughs) so I can cut it out with the laser and not, just buy them all the time. And there's also like an organizational structure that we're sort of going into now that we're loosely titling the MYOG machine without promising too much Carter. Like what does that mean for makers and patterns? Yeah. So basically um, we're trying to structure just how we view uh, the customer journey uh, somewhat through reflection of our own journeys in MYOG. And I've really decided that for the most part, what we're trying to do is like help people enjoy their hobbies and activities more through the gear that they make. Uh, So we've done some surveys and things and really identified that although everybody kind of has different interests, we can really narrow that down to uh, a a selection of activities or hobbies that we, we really want to dial in and start offering more kits for those things so that the people that shop with us and that are, you know, looking to, to make things, 
can find exactly what they want instead of trying to come up with a kit themselves. So for instance, let's just say cycling, right? That we have zero cycling kits right now, but there are a lot of people out there that want that are bike packing, or we have a lot of uh, B2B customers that are doing bike packing stuff. So now that we've identified that we're starting the process of starting to create those kits categorically and so that we can increase our offerings site-wide for all the different types of activities that people would like to do instead of just saying like, okay, let's make, uh, I think today I want to make dog collar kit and then just make that. We want to actually make things that people want, which dog collar kit is one of them, by the way, I wasn't saying, yeah, if you want that, we will definitely make that, but you get my point. Yeah. Next question is from Jim Guther. I think, sorry, Jim. Any plans to sell TPU-coated ripstop fabrics, things that are capable of heat sealing instead of sewing? Yeah, maybe one day. It's certainly been on the development sheet. We're also trying to be cognizant of how those coatings affect the environment to create and stuff like that. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't ever carry something like that. Um, but we also want to make sure that if we do release a TPU-coated fabric, that it's very heat-sealable. So there's a lot of testing that goes into what temperatures would be best for that. I would also want to carry uh, some sort of iron that would allow us to do it. So I don't just want to release it and then say, oh, by the way, you just you have to figure out, make a campfire and see if you can get them to bond together or whatever. Um, so yes, one day for sure. Awesome. The next question is from Jeff. I'm into DIY backpacking gear and I've made stuff sacks, hammocks, underquilts, along with cook sets. I've been eyeing the Dyneema bear bag kit on Rips Up by the Roll, but it never seems to be in stock. When will we see that item back in the online store? Cheers and happy hiking. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I know it's frustrating. I know the Dyneema shortage has been frustrating for a lot of people. And our um, fulfillment shortage. <laughs> yeah, but the short answer is soon. Uh, we're working on hiring more people. Um, our new GM, Jason, has done a great job of, of uh hopping in and, and trying to get new people on the line and, and making sure that that stuff stays in stock. Um, and it seems like the, the Dyneema shortage is coming to an end. Um, seems yeah. like we're, we're getting more yeah. um, every day. So hopefully soon, hopefully soon those will be back in stock and will stay in stock. This might be the only question I have actual insight to to add on. But on top of that, um, just to, for more info, we recently did a podcast with Dyneema and they talk about their supply chain and things like that. So if you want to hear more about that, go check out episode uh, 38, I believe. Um, but they're working, they have more shifts going to produce more Dyneema. But also, we're currently in the process of hiring a uh, production coordinator as well. So that's another piece that will help with keeping uh, some of these kits in stock so that Jason and Kyle aren't running around with with many, many full-time jobs in their hands um, to, to delegate some of those things. So we are in the process of interviewing people, um, kind of as you'll hear this episode. So it is, there will be productions happening soon to get those things back in stock. Next question is from Harlan. Occasionally, I need to make something light, breathable, and very abrasion resistant. Example, I make shin guard areas for light zip-off pants. I'd like to use something like Challenge Ultra 200, but not waterproof. I know that pure UHMWPE is a nightmare to handle, but I'm hoping there is some polyester or nylon or a UHMWPE hybrid that is not waterproof. Currently, I use uh, Key Protect, Key Protect. So it's a, it's like an aramid nylon. It's like Kevlar mi mixed uh, with nylon. Oh, okay. So Key Protect, Key Protect, aramid and nylon. 
uh, but it has some undesirable features. Will you ever again offer a non-waterproof UHMWPE hybrid? Yeah, uh, so uh, Harlan, when you say again, I assume you're referring to Dyneema demo days where one of the fabrics that was extremely popular was this, I think it was like, it might have been 1.2 ounce per square yard, but it was a it was a nylon 6.6 ripstop with a UHMWPE grid, but it was uncoated. Uh, and yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't want to give away too many secrets, but certainly something that we recognize could be cool for a lot of apparel, as well as possibly hammocks, as well as other stuff. And that's something that we're working on as we speak to to make happen. So thanks for the question. And I agree with you. That's something that we want to carry. You can also try the melange with DWR. Yeah, there is a breathable melange that you could use. I don't, is it in, yeah, it is in both colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that you could use. It's a little bit heavier, but uh, yeah, good point, Isaac. You, you yeah. could definitely use that. Great, great rec. Carol, Carol's a super listener. Um, she sent in a ton of questions for today and we're really, really appreciative of that. But also just thanks for listening as always, Carol. Is it true that you'll be carrying Merino fabric soon or is that just an exciting rumor? Sounds like there may be plans for carrying some fabrics that would be more suited for making clothes. Is that true? And if so, what will you be carrying? Uh, this is an exciting question for me uh, because it's apparel, kind of baby. <laughs> yeah, apparel is kind of my background. Um, so specifically Merino fabric, like 100% Merino, um, has been difficult to source, um, but I'm still working on it. Uh, sooner rather than later, we'll, we'll have be getting polar tech um and then polar tech uh alpha direct with wool so we will have one fabric coming uh that has some wool content um so stay tuned for that um and i mean this is something that we we're trying to ramp up our apparel uh fabric selections as well as these patterns that you know we're going to be working with tim from learn myog because he has a lot of really cool apparel patterns um like the alpha raglan hoodie. Um, so we're going to be carrying the alpha so that you can get that pattern and the alpha from us and make awesome hoodies. So more coming soon. The, when we did a development survey several months ago, it was unanimously clear that you all really wanted more apparel options and apparel things. So we are looking to bring that on. I know it's probably taken longer than, well, we all would have hoped, frankly. Um, but between the kits from or patterns from Learn MYOG with a lot of the fabrics that Isaac and Carter are bringing on, where we are starting to finally fulfill some of those things. And it's, I think it's really exciting for all of us here. Um, we're not just gear nerds with backpacks. We're kind of gear nerds with everything that we wear and bring. Um, so we're really pumped for all of that. So uh, we're about halfway through these questions now. Thank you for everyone that's made it so far. And thank you for everyone that sent in a question. We are going to push off the other segments for the part two of this uh, this series or the Ask Us Anything part three, which will come out uh, a week from now. So if you're hearing this on the Wednesday that's released, it'll come out on July 13th. So you'll hear the second half coming up soon. Uh, thank you to everyone. Don't forget to rate, subscribe. It's really easy. If you go into iTunes and just click rip stop on the record or go find us, then you can just scroll down and click five stars. We would really, really appreciate the support and the feedback and, and what you guys like so we can continue to do this and hopefully give you guys a lot of information. Yeah. So remember, sign up for the maker challenge, make something that solves a problem. You don't have to be awesome at sewing to do it. And then also please listen to part two of this next week. I promise it gets even spicier and you don't want to miss it. As always, make a gear, drink good beer, and also hydrate. And comment on the podcast. And comment on the podcast. You have a lot of tasks to do. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.